0: Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey.
1: I think a lot of it was really, it's just so much of like the media. It just affects you because you just see all this stuff on... TV and all these commercials of these women looking so perfect, Mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, okay, if I want to be beautiful, I have to look like that, even though they are photoshopped and, you know, everything, like, that's not even real, like, that's not even them.
0: That is an example of just one of the many lies that women of all ages believe, and it doesn't start when you're an adult, it begins when you're much younger than that, and we'll be talking about that today on Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus president and author Jim Daly, and our guest is Dana Gresh. Uh, She'll point out some of those lies and how you can talk them through with your daughter. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller.
2: John, I have all sons, so this is uh, not my experience. I wish I would have had at least one daughter, but it didn't happen. Um, I know you have three daughters. Um, Describe that season when they were in their tween years. Was that pretty difficult? Did you and Dina have...
0: uh, Help in fighting those lies that they might have been <laughs> believing? Well, we had plenty of help because, of course, I work here at Focus on the Family. <laughs> so a treasure trove, as you call it, of resources. But we did have plenty of challenges. The, the relationship that they had with their fear. I like that. <laughs> there you go. I think one of the biggest opportunities we had with regard to lies was to help them realize it's not how you look, referring to that clip there. It's not what you do. We love you for who you are. And, mm. and that's not a lie that is easily countered. The culture seems to just say it's all about who you are, what you do, what you say, how you look. Well, and that well can be so deep
2: that parents can't even keep it filled in their daughter's hearts. You can do the right thing all day, and it's such a cavernous well Mm -hmm. that they don't feel adequate, they don't feel beautiful, whatever it might be, that um, you need God's help to help them fill that That void. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, that relationship between mothers and their daughters is so, so special. And mothers want to get those conversations right so their daughters will open up to them and uh, talk about different things that are going on in their lives. Tweens face so many lies when it comes to their friends, both boys and girls. Today, we are going to concentrate on the girls. So it's vital. Uh, that parents have these conversations. Dads play a critical role as well with the daughters, Mm -hmm. obviously, too, with their sons. But again, we're going to concentrate on Dana's great book today.
0: Yeah, Dana Gresh is a a seasoned guest here. It's been a while since we've had her here, but we're so glad to have her back. Uh, She's the founder of the ministry True Girl and co-hosts a podcast for Revive Our Hearts and is a speaker at a number of women's events. She has two great books for us, Uh, to talk about today. One is called Lies Girls Believe and the Truth That Sets Them Free. And then there's a companion volume, A Mom's Guide to Lies Girls Believe. So we'll cover a lot of ground here. And if you want to learn more, stop by our website and uh, you'll find all the details. That's focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast.
2: Dana, welcome back. Wow. It's good to see you.
3: So good to be back. It's been a it's, little while, but been.
2: it's wonderful to have you back in Colorado Springs. I Hope you enjoy been. the beautiful weather.
3: <laughs> it is beautiful.
2: Hey, let me uh, let me get right at it. Uh, you start off in the books talking about um, the insecurity that crept up on you. Mm-hmm. What happened and how does it relate to the lies uh, girls are told about friendship?
3: Well, th- I think every woman... I don't know if men experience this, you'll have to tell me, feels lonely at some point. We feel like we don't have enough friendship or the right kinds of friendship or we hear about somebody else's great connection and best friend and we're like, I don't have that. It's a a craving in our heart that really ultimately is reminding us of our need for friendship with Mm, Jesus. mm. But um, I experienced that recently, Uh, not recently, but when I was writing the book, I was just having one of those days I was like, I don't think anyone likes me. I probably got some hate mail or something from somebody that started me on a spiral. And, you know, you play that tape in your mind of all the negative thoughts that have ever been said, all the negative things you've ever thought. Um, And that was playing in my head. And I I don't know why, but I specifically thought of my friend, Laura Booz, And I thought, I bet she doesn't like me. Now, I'm dramatizing here. I'm not that childish. But who am I kidding? Yes, I am. I was that childish. (laughs) And, you know, I just finally, I said, Lord, I'm coming to you with my loneliness. I'm coming to you with this sadness. What do you want to teach me? And I had a great time with the Lord that night. The next morning, I walked into my office, and would you believe it, my friend Laura Boos, who I hadn't heard from for months, there was a note on my desk from her that She had dropped off that morning that just said, I don't know why, but God just had you on my heart today. I wanted to Mm -hmm. tell you how special of a friend you are to me. That's amazing. But you know what that showed me is it really is God is driving us with our loneliness and our fear of missing out and all of those things to him. And as moms, we have to run to him for those things and be really careful that we don't try to give our daughters an artificial fix Mm -hmm. when he is using loneliness to draw our daughters to him.
2: Yeah, you know, I'm back at your comment there about, you know, the differences between men and women. And I think it's interesting. Of course, all the books out there, you know, Venus and Mars and spaghetti and Uh waffles and how men and women are different. (laughs) But men do have an incredible capacity to compartmentalize. Yeah. And I think that that works for us. You know, they talk about men that go to war like World War II. They could have seen horrific things. They never talk about it again. They lock it away Mm. in some compartment in their head and in their emotions. Which
3: they should not do. Correct. We should I mean, it's not
2: healthy, but (laughs) it it is kind of the wiring that we have, that if we are in a bad spot, we just kind of lock that door of our heart and throw the key away. Right. And it may come up in different ways. Women are so interconnected in mm-hmm. their brains and their emotions, that spaghetti factor, you know, just wiring everywhere.
3: Well, and one of the interesting things is the part of the brain that really processes relationship and friendship and connection, um, the thalamus, which is kind of in the center of the brain and it helps us relate and remember and have friendship, is two to three times larger than the female, even though the male brain is generally. A, a bit larger. So God has even just given us more geographical space to experience friendship and relationships and that's why it hurts more when those things aren't going quite right. It makes wrong.
2: total sense. I yeah. mean I see that in my, you know, conversations with Jean and yeah. she'll tell me about her friends and I can't remember who suggested this but this is a great idea for the guys listening. Ask your wife how her relationships with her girlfriends is going. Oh. And wow. it's it's a I mean I thought we have done it yeah Jean was like wow she just started <laughs> sharing all this stuff and you know at some point went wow what I didn't gift. I didn't know I'd get that much information but it's a great question so that's great a, a gift good you opener gave her. what is the first lie that uh, was told to Eve in the garden I think we all if we've read the story we kind of know it but yeah. um, it played to her emotions describe yeah. that the way you process well it. can
3: you imagine life before lies and deception
2: huh. it's hard.
3: Yeah, and the beauty of that place they lived in, and they're cocooned in fellowship with God. They walked with God every day. In
2: the cool of the afternoon. In the cool <laughs> of the afternoon, they
3: walked with him. What, an, what a gift yeah. that they experienced friendship with their creator. And then Satan comes, disguised as a snake, and the book of John says that he is a liar and he is the father of all lies. Every lie you've ever heard originates with one source, Satan. He is the father of them. And he comes with that first lie to Eve. And think about this. It's this beautiful garden full of trees, right? And God has given them some instructions. You can eat of every tree in the garden. So many to choose from. I don't know what kind of trees, but there are a lot of trees, right? And he says this one tree is the only one is, that's off limits. So what God had given to them was far more significant than what he was withholding. There's a lesson in that for somebody mm-hmm. today. But Satan comes, and what does he try to tell Eve? He essentially tells her, did God really say? So he makes her question. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. And she starts to embellish what God says. And she says, God said, we can't even touch the tree or we'll die. God didn't say that. He didn't say don't touch the tree. He said don't eat from it. There's legalism. From the beginning, we see legalism alive and well. We take God's rules and we make them a bigger rule than they really are. Don't do that in your parenting. Don't do that in your parenting. Rules without relationship are so damaging to the heart of a child. But right from the beginning, we see we had a proclivity for that. Mm. and what Eve ultimately believed, I think, at the base of that tree is the first lie we write about and Lies Girls Believe. I should say Nancy Damas walgamuth helped me a lot with forming this book. Um, God is not enough. Mm. God is not enough. I need that piece of fruit, because if I have that piece of fruit, I'm going to be like God, right? That was the lie she believed, and that's really the lie that all of us believe when we reach for whatever it is, when we reach for food, when we reach for the remote control, when we reach for our phones to scroll mindlessly through social media, when we reach for pornography, when we reach for um, uh, friendships that aren't healthy for us, we're we're saying God isn't enough. Now, what do you think, girls? between the ages of 8 and 12. you got to really put your creative thinking caps. John has a better chance of yeah, getting this answer I'm going to miss correct. this already. i probably still All right? miss it. So what do you think? I mean, girls said a lot of things. If I could get on the soccer team, then God would be enough. If I could have a best friend, then God would be enough. If I could have this kind of schooling, God would be enough. If I could have a puppy, God would be enough, right? But what do you think was the one thing that most of them mentioned every time?
0: John? I, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I guess... Um,
3: It might, hint, it might be what we're talking about. Relationships. Yeah, there we go. They were like, if I had a friend or if I had more friends or if I had a best friend, Mm. then God would be enough. And so right here you have something that really needs to be addressed because that ache in her heart, God created your daughter to have relationship with him. Mm. And until she has that relationship with him, you know, I remember one of my girls was in college. She decided to stay for a summer and do some work there on campus, and she was really lonely. Well, I'm an author; I can write from anywhere, so I go into mom fix-it mode, which is moms pay close attention because we should not do this.
2: But I was (laughs) I was dad thing. Let's fix it,
3: dad. (laughs) But moms do it too. I was ready to pack my suitcase and go, just like at least for a week, be with her go out with her for dinner at night, be her friend, fix the brokenness, right? Fix Mm. the ache, fix Mm. the loneliness. And I'm weeding my flower bed and I'm just like planning the trip. And suddenly I sense in my heart God saying, do you really want to get in the way of the work I'm doing in your daughter's heart?
2: Wow, that's tough.
3: What if this loneliness, I'm allowing it to happen so she'll need me? Hmm. And I knew it was true. Yeah. And I just sat down with my weeding equipment and cried because I knew that the pain she was going to feel, there was no way around it. But that I, as a mom, the best thing I could do was help her to understand God is enough. Yeah. And loneliness really is a problem yeah. right now in a special way. Um, really about the year 2019, I started looking at stats and trends because we saw what can only be described as hockey stick growth in the loneliness of teens. Now, anytime you see hockey stick growth, that means something significant happened. Generally, sociologists see slow climbing trends or slow declines, right? You don't see boom up or boom down. What we see is this hockey stick trend of loneliness in teenagers um, starting about the year 2007 or 2008, Now, at the same time, we were seeing hockey stick trends, a downward trend of kids not spending time hanging out with each other. Mm -hmm. You see kids in the 70s, it's like they're all hanging out. And then it must have been the Reagan years, suddenly in like the 80s and 90s, it comes down a little bit, it like slowly slopes down. But then in 2007, boom, kids are not hanging out with each other. Again, starting about 2007, what happened in 2007? Cell phone. Smartphones. (laughs) Smartphones. <laughs>
2: That's what Smartphones. happened.
3: Smartphones, um, right. social media came to be. Yeah. And now kids, they say kids are spending an average of nine hours a day on their phones for entertainment. I think it's a lot higher than that. And that tweens are spending about five hours a day on some sort of a device. And they're doing entertainment, YouTube, sometimes social media, even right. under the age of 12, even though it's really not recommended under mm. the age of 12. So that is creating a new dynamic of loneliness that we haven't seen previously.
0: This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment.
1: It's time to level up. Give your kids a safe, faith-focused, and biblically-based community, and so much more. Join the Adventures in Odyssey Club. Club members get on-demand access to the exciting Adventures in Odyssey series, including more than 900 episodes. With faith-building activities, parental controls, and a safe online community, the Adventures in Odyssey Club could be your best adventure yet. Learn more and start your free trial at adventuresinodyssey.com slash radio. My favorite
3: thing about Brio is that you can actually absorb stuff from it and learn. Reaching teen girls
1: right where they're at with encouragement to grow in their faith.
3: The stories in the Brio magazine about other people that have gone through things way worse
1: that I have is really inspiring and uplifting. Help your teen invite God into her everyday experience with Brio Magazine. Learn more at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Brio Radio.
0: Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Dana, in addition
2: to that loneliness factor you're talking about, in a highly connected culture, teen culture, mm-hmm. preteen culture, where they've got so much accessibility to chat, do their Twitters or whatever yeah. they're doing now. I don't even know. <laughs> That's how disconnected I can be sometimes. But in that regard, uh, cyberbullying is yeah. something mm-hmm. that seems to be heavily weighted toward girls. Um, you know, girls that get um, really ridiculed and Mm -hmm. and bullied in a social media context. Describe that and the importance of combating that and being in touch with your daughters about the effect of that.
3: Well, I think that is part of what creates the loneliness. It's not just that there's not um, a friendship right in front of me who I can trust and I'm getting to know and I'm making eye contact, I'm reading nonverbals, and I'm feeling loved and connected. But when she's on social media, she's not getting any of that. And it's really easy to distort even a neutral message. Let's say you see a picture of your friend at a friend's birthday that you didn't get invited to. Suddenly, that becomes FOMO, fear of missing out. And that spirals into a lot of insecurity. But then there is literally um, cyberbullying can be very deadly, very dangerous, not always to a girl's physical body, but to her spirit. It, it, it crushes a mm-hmm. girl's heart, and she can begin. It can feed lies that she already believes about herself. Yeah. You know, um, lies that she's not loved, that she's not worth anything, that she's not beautiful. Like we heard that example at the top of the program. That not feeling beautiful is really an important thing. God created women to be kind of, I think, the epitome of His creation. This beautiful expression of his beauty Mm. and i think that's a good and beautiful thing and it's to be celebrated but when the world is distorting it with lights and makeup and poreless skin and this girl shows up and she's like i don't look like that when i wake up guess what neither does that celebrity look like that when they wake up they've already been through hair and makeup to fake that picture um but then you put on top of that the bullying where they're actually told horrible things about themselves
2: in that Friendship and relationship space, you've talked about that. Um, how do we combat that lie of our daughters that I don't have friends? And, you know, in some cases, it may be true that they yes. don't have a close friend and they want that and they seek that. And they're just not getting that response from their well, friendship circles.
3: Two things. One is that loneliness is a real thing,
2: mm-hmm.
3: don't pass over it, acknowledge it. I'm sad that you feel lonely. Can you tell me about that? Like, I just want to listen. All I want to do is listen. For moms, that's a very painful thing. There were a few things that hurt me more than listening to my daughters talk about when they were bullied or when they felt lonely at at school. I hated that more than anything. It hurt me so badly.
2: Because you experienced that?
3: No, because I hated that she was experiencing it. I couldn't stand that my daughter was experiencing that pain. And that's where the temptation for us, I think, as moms, Mm -hmm. comes in to fix it. I'm going to go fix that. But then the next thing um, that I would really recommend, and it's not the most important thing because I'll get to that in a second, but the next thing I really recommend is so many times when you listen to them, What they're saying is, nobody noticed me. Nobody affirmed me. Nobody invited me to sit with them on the bus today. Nobody invited me to their birthday party. And it's really a backwards and unbiblical approach to friendship. And until your daughter starts to do friendship the way God designed her to do friendship, it's not going to work.
2: And what is that?
3: That is, she needs to be a friend.
2: I don't know if this is still true. Uh, shifting a gear here, but um, as I was reading the book and looking at the prep this morning, I was talking to Jean about this, and I said, "Were you ever boy crazy?" <laughs> you yeah. know, and you know, we're talking about elementary school, junior yeah. high, and she said, "Oh yeah, you know, it was all silly stuff." And her and her girlfriends would see if some guy would notice her in sixth grade or something Mm -hmm. like that. But that idea of the influence of boys in girls' lives at that age and the importance that many girls place on it, kind of the boy crazy craze, describe that and the damage it can do and how to develop that in a healthier way.
3: Well, to write Lies, Girls Believe, we surveyed 1,500 tween girls. These were all church-going girls. Mm. Um, and we did focus groups with dozens of moms. We wanted to make sure that the 20 lies that we addressed in the book were the lies that were, in fact, the most relevant. And one of the really big ones was this area of needing a boyfriend. Here's what made me really sad when we talked to the girls, is it wasn't just this cultural trend of I need to have a boyfriend, Right. And some something like thirty two percent of girls by their eleventh birthday have had a boyfriend.
2: (laughs) Really? Like what?
3: Yeah. And now now that's that would be, you know, broad secular numbers, but that's the kind of pressure that's out there that a third of the girls who have really not a specific need to be in a relationship with a boy have one and that puts pressure on all of them to experience Talk. They call it talking together yeah. today. I don't know if you know that, but they call it they want to talk with mm-hmm. someone. That's the beginning of relationship. But the research tells mm-hmm. us that when you start with that, when you're in eight to twelve year old range, when you're thirteen plus, being in a dating relationship for six months or longer puts you on a conveyor belt to an early sexual debut. Right. Mm-hmm. So it that boy craziness really isn't a cute thing. It's not something we should be encouraging and nurturing. And here's here's the long term problem of it, is I need the guy, I need the guy, I need the guy, till you're married and you have the guy becomes God fix the guy.
2: Well, and back to your point, relationship is critical. Yeah. Especially for that mom and daughter to have those discussions, and then those self uh, awareness things become, you know, they start to happen for her. Yeah. Okay, mom was right. You know. And that's good. Let's. We're right at the end. I want to cover at least one more. Speak to the lie that says that parents. Just don't get me. Well, I mean, is that a teen thing or what? That's boy and girl, by the way. Part of it is true, of course. <laughs> part of it is <laughs> very is true. true. My um, mom, she just doesn't get me.
3: Yeah. A lot of times that when we asked the girls, these 1,500 girls that like, why do you feel like your parents don't get you? Why do you feel like your family is weird? That was one of the lies that we addressed. My family is weird. That one came up a lot. <laughs> and it was, you know, everything from my family has goats, goats, we have goats, one girl said. Another one's like, we're not allowed to eat sugar. All these things, my family doesn't get that I wanna eat sugar. My family doesn't get that I don't want goats. My family doesn't get that I don't wanna go to church. Like some of them were really serious things comes back to wanting to fit in and wanting to be normal. And we have to teach our girls that normal is very overrated and that at the end of the day, they want to be special and they want to stand out. Like there's a craving that they have to be the celebrity, the
1: the influencer on
3: social media, right? And at the same time, they're hanging over here on this to this live, I want to be like everyone else. That's double-mindedness. That's what the Bible calls it. And so having really rich biblical conversations with your daughter about the fact of, let's talk about what's special about you. God made you so unique. And we might not get everything about you, but tell us what what really excites you that's different and unique about you. Don't tell us you want Instagram or Snapchat because all your friends do, because we're not going to do the normal thing. You just need to know that up front. But tell us what. where are you unique? We want to foster and encourage that. Mm. So your no's need to come with yeses.
2: You know, in that same respect right at the end here, uh, it's so important that your children feel loved by you. Yes. And so often, back to your original point, that we yeah. can get so into the rules and the legalism yeah. that we forget the relationship. and let's end with that exclamation point that as we're doing the parenting yeah. responsibility to actually talk with them, sit with them and i've always envisioned when my boys walked away from one of my conversations yeah that they feel loved yeah they know even if it was, you know, a reprimand or a correction that they know i love them yeah, and yeah. if you can go in that way in this context with your daughters y- you will get so much farther along in helping them spiritually and emotionally than just going with the rules.
3: Right. Let me tell you something really interesting that we discovered when we surveyed these 1,500 girls is one of the big lies they believe about God. They believed God loved them when we asked them, does God love you? But when we dug and tried to get qualifiers for if there's any, when they sinned, they believed they were completely unlovable by God and by their parents. Isn't that the We've all experienced that, right? Sure, that's guilt. But to have eight to 12-year-olds experience it, and God's word tells us that he loved us while we were yet sinners. Mm. He loved us when we were ugly and messy and hard to deal with. And still loves us. And still loves us. And I'm still ugly and messy and hard to deal with sometimes. But our kids need to know that we love them when they don't get it right.
2: I agree. And Dana, this has been so good. You have, I think, spoken to the hearts of many moms who are struggling a bit, Mm -hmm. not knowing what to do. And dads too, with their daughters to help them to fill that void and make sure that they understand that God is there to fill it first and foremost. And once you have that Mm -hmm. as a teen girl, as a teen boy, man, it it sets you up for the Mm -hmm. right things in life. And uh, this is a great reminder. So thank you. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. And uh, reminding us of these things. And to the listener, we want to get this into your hands. I mean, and we often do this. uh, You know, if you can make a gift of any amount to help the ministry here, uh, because that's what we turn around and use with the proceeds. We just put it back toward people and helping people in the name of Christ. Send us a gift of any amount. If you can do that monthly, uh, let's do it together. Let's do ministry together. And if you can, we'll send you uh, both of these, I believe. Right, John? That's right. We're bundling these together, Jim. We'll bundle them together, and we'll send them to you as our way of saying thank you. If you can't do that monthly, a one-time gift will do the same thing. So be a part of the ministry and get a great resource from Dana Gresh that will help you in your parenting journey.
0: Yeah, go ahead and contact us. Request uh, this bundle of books, Lies, Girls Believe, and A Mom's Guide to Lies, Girls Believe. And wait, it gets better. We have a free <laughs> audio download that we'll uh, include with that bundle. Uh, our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. Or stop by com slash broadcast for all the details. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening today to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break here and then return with another faith-building program for your family. Stay tuned. Hi, Jim Daly here. Today's culture deeply needs help, but in times like
2: these, the light of Christ can shine even brighter. So be encouraged to share his light in this broken world. Listen to the Refocus with Jim Daly podcast. Without time limitations, I'll have deep, heartfelt discussions with fascinating guests who will encourage you to share God's grace, truth, and love. Check out the podcast at refocuswithjimdaily.com or wherever you get your podcasts. God was saying to me, and I didn't know this years later,
4: this is not about voice. This is not about concerts. This is, this is about me. Yeah. And we're not going to trust in voice, and we're not going to trust in all of these <laughs> outside things. What we're
0: going to trust in is me. Yeah. That's Christian singer Larnell Harris describing the amazing ways God has really used his music career, which spans five decades, and uh, we're thrilled to have him here as our guest on Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and
2: I'm John Fuller. Hey, John, many of our seasoned listeners will remember Larnell over many of those five decades, actually. Um, Larnell's amazing singing voice has been on display, uh, those gifts that the Lord has given him in such uh, incredible ways. Uh, He was with the Gaither Vocal Band in the late 80s, and he's probably most famous for the duets he sang with Sandy Patty. Um, I'm not sure, but we'll ask him in a moment. <laughs> he also sang for Billy Graham Crusade for 30 years, and he was featured at Promise Keepers. I think I may have been at one of the events you up sang at, actually. Yeah. Up in Boulder. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but behind all of that success and many music awards, four or five Grammys over the years, um, most important to him is his commitment to Christ and uh, what faithfulness means in this journey of life. Uh, bottom line, these are the reasons why we wanted to talk to Larnell, to Mm -hmm. talk to him about faith and music and worshiping the Lord and what it's meant to him over these many years. Yeah, And I remember
0: uh, Jim being at a radio station in East Texas back in the 80s playing Larnell's music. We had record albums, and his (laughs) stuff was there, and go-to music for us. That's great. So you were spinning the music. uh, We had the vinyl going, man.
4: (laughs) Well, thank you for that. And I got to tell you, I have come all the way from Kentucky, and it's the first time that I didn't come. I'm not singing anything. Not not yet. (laughs) Not
2: yet. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, no, we love it. And we appreciate the journey all the way from Kentucky to yeah. Colorado. Well, it's so. good to be with you. It's been many years since
4: I've been here. I was here for one of the uh, chapel services. It's been years. Oh, yeah. It's
2: been years and years and years ago. This campus, though. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'm going to assume. Yeah. But, yeah we've uh, been here since here. 94. So yeah. really in this location. It. What a wonderful thing. I want to start with your family of origin because I think it's really a great story, mm. a victory story, as you called yeah. it. Uh, mm. And I understand your parents had rough backgrounds like. Like so many of us, you know, I don't know what it was about that era. You know, the parents of us now that are in our 50s and 60s, but they, you know, it was just kind of the 20s and the 30s, and there was some just funny stuff going on with you know, legging and other stuff. But yeah, what, what know, was going was. on in your family?
4: Well, my mom was a lady staunched in her faith, I mean, she loved the Lord. She was a Pentecostal holiness woman, she, and she was a prayer warrior. In so she the, was serious. Oh, uh, she dead serious. <laughs> she wore that white dress with them big buttons run down the front. <laughs> right. And boy, she'd flat run over you in a service. Because <laughs> she, you know, she was not sophisticated. She would shout. In fact, that whole church uh, back there in Danville, Kentucky, uh, people would come from all over the state to uh, witness what they called a the watch care service. That was the service from uh, bringing in the new year. And uh, uh, the drums would be going. the cymbals, somebody would have a tambourine. A pastor would get up and speak, and the place would just erupt that 's what I grew up with. It was yeah. a fervent it was a fervent worship, so it was no surprise to me that my mom prayed my dad into the kingdom
2: yeah, so and tenacity, perseverance all of that was part of her character it I'm was sure. indeed,
4: and so she was not going to sit still and have her husband uh, not be a part of the kingdom. So she prayed him in. She prayed him in. I can remember um, uh, sitting at her knee as a little boy, I mean four or five years old, and she'd be praying for dad. He'd be knocking on the door, and uh, it, it, the circumstances was as such that she couldn't let him in. Now, I'm a very young kid. I don't know all the dynamics of of grown-up relationships, but there was a lot going on. Sure. Um, Her prayers, I remember in Scripture where uh, it wasn't the faith of the paralytic, it was the faith of the friends and those who loved him. And they took him up on the roof, and I can imagine that every prayer that my mom prayed Mm. was taking another shingle off of that roof. What a beautiful uh, way to look at that. Until finally he could be dropped down to the face of Jesus and Mm. look him square in the face. And you know what happened? God healed him of the greatest disease that there is, the most insidious uh, malady uh, that there is, sin. Yeah.
2: What was because he coming he, out of? If, just for the listener to be able to paint that picture. So, the environment that he came out of. Why your mom was praying so much for him? Yeah. Well, what was came happening?
4: Out, well, his dad went to prison. Yeah. And uh, there are things that I have a ninety-year-old aunt. In Danville, and there are still things that she will not tell me. You know about those. She's been sworn uh, to secrecy. Uh, sworn to secrecy. My family
2: has that same thing. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's like, and, what did
4: you do? And yeah. They won't tell you. Yeah, oh. you know what? And some of it might be beneficial. I mean, yeah, you know, over the years, but you, some of it's benign. Yeah, and you're going, the, oh, yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah,
2: yeah, I mean, the, exactly. Wow. Okay, exactly.
4: It was life. It In was your life. case,
2: the family, the adults around you were bootlegging. I mean, that yeah. was kind of the thing. Hey, not only man, beer this, and
4: Yeah, you know, I could sell you a pint. This is a dry... And you became a salesman a, as, a li- sell, as a uh, young What do you kid? want? I could sell you a pint <laughs> as well as anybody else. I was... Uh, uh, and this is a dry county. This Right. I mean, yeah, this is a dry place. So, but I also remember... And I don't want to tell too much because you got to read the book. But there are... Oh,
2: st- <laughs> well, it's good. It's good read.
4: <laughs> I remember... Uh, when Sammy Dexter came, who was the detective in town, and came to our home. You remember his name. Oh, yeah. Sammy was a good guy. And and, And you're like 9, 10 years old? uh, At that time, yeah. 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 And he came and, and took my dad off. Right. And it was a traumatic thing for mom and me. I can almost so your dad was arrested he was arrested
2: and tried and spent some time in prison. What mm-hmm. did that do for you? I mean I'm always a believer in the pendulum of God for the wisdom if you can see it as a boy, yeah. which I felt a very similar story. Yeah. Uh, my dad wasn't bootlegging, but he was on the other end he sure. was on the receiving end of it and in some ways as a child being nine ten eleven years old, he died when I was twelve. There are some positives that can come out of that, where you're observing this as a boy and going, "Okay, I don't want to do that. I don't yeah. want to be like that. I don't want to suffer the consequences." Exactly. Did you have some of that process? I did,
4: and I got it from him.
2: Oh, uh, interesting. I,
4: I, when he's now that he's he is at this time uh, pretty tied into the church. He is uh, the pastor is uh, seemingly can't go to pray for someone in the hospital as he takes. My dad. Yeah, and now his his occupation, which is not bootlegging, but he he's always been a love to cook, and so now he's a baker. He comes out with a wow. with with something else. So that he, he goes to do. jail. Comes out,
2: j- comes out a, as a baker. As a baker, and then sets up a business.
4: So, uh, one of the old boys in town. Mr. Burke hired my dad at Burke's Bakery. It's a very famous bakery. It's <laughs> yeah. still going. And now I go into the shop and see my dad making donuts and pies and cakes. And uh, Now you know, you're talking. I'm, I'm, now we got something. <laughs> and he's taking those donuts and he's dipping them in that sugar and he holds them up. Now, we shouldn't eat this stuff, okay? Right. But now he's, he's, he's hold, he puts them up on a rack. And you pull one off, and you taste and you said, and with pride, my dad made that. Mm, that's amazing. This is my dad's new life. And now, again, we talk about the training of a child. Yes. Who needed to see that? I really believe that most of what has happened in my life over the years has been due to that episode, those days, watching my mom and dad Mm. take a situation and turn it around through prayer. Right. Um, How old were
2: you when you came to Christ?
4: I joined church when I was 12. Okay. Okay. I didn't uh, really make a commitment because didn't understand it all. Okay? Yeah, sure. I mean, it uh, sounds
2: odd, the blood of yeah, Jesus yeah. and what oh, does that man. mean and that's we scary. Who can wrap that around? Yeah. Yeah. So what happened? You well,
4: were... I met an old boy by the name of um, a Stan Morris. Uh, I was auditioning actually for a group called the Spurlos As a teenager? I, I, well, or even I'm younger. out of college now. Okay, now, okay. We, we have jumped for a bunch. Uh, And Stan explained it to me for the first time. But what happened was that set this up. I was 16 years old. And my dad, through the years, they always had fast cars. He and his uncle. (laughs) They
2: were bootlegers. They had to have them,
4: you know, (laughs) running through those hills. Okay. So so there was a new highway, uh, US 127, between Danville and Stanford, Kentucky, about 10 miles. And they just put in this new highway. It was flat. And I'm saying today – Today, I'm going to find out how fast this thing will go. (laughs) So I get this thing out on the beginning of that highway – I lose my nerve. I mean, this, we're, I'm moving, okay? And I lose my nerve, and I pull over to the side of the road. I'm almost in, Stanford, t- 10 <laughs> yeah, miles. Right.
2: That 10 miles yeah. went fast. My, my
4: knuckles are hurting because <laughs> I've been holding on to this wheel. And now I didn't notice that, that the state police had pulled up behind me. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there. Uh, the cop gets out of the car. And he walks up to the driver's side of the window. He said, kid, you could have killed yourself. Said, listen, I'm going to put you down. For 70 plus, 70 miles an hour plus. I don't know how fast you were going, and I wasn't going to kill myself to save you. When I met Stan, he introduced me to the one who did just that, Mm. who allowed himself to go to the cross for me. And that news broke my heart. You caught and, it. And I caught it. I caught it. I had my degree in hand. I was going out. I was going to be uh, teaching school. I had met my wife. But that news broke my heart. And when Stan explained it, I went back to that event huh. and said, my Lord, thank you so much for what you've done. And then I was in a position where
0: I could begin to grow and yeah. grow the This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment.
1: Your marriage can be redeemed, even if the fights seem constant, even if there's been an affair, even if you haven't felt close in years. No matter how deep the wounds are, you can take a step toward healing them with a Hope Restored Marriage Intensive. Our biblically-based counseling will help you find the root of your problems and face challenges together. We'll talk with you, pray with you, and help you find out which program will work best. Call us at 1-866-875-2915.
0: Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming.
2: Uh, Larnell, let me go back, and it's wonderful. I- I think in very similar ways we tracked. I mean, I was—I mm. became a Christian at fifteen, but wobbled along. I didn't really understand it. Then, when I was twenty-two, yeah. that's when the Lord really got a hold of me, and there was a, f- a greater fullness to my understanding. It sounds like very similarly yeah, because to we all yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think you just mature. You've seen more of life, and in your twenties, you're beginning to make big decisions, and you know that God needs to be a part of this. That's right. I think as a teenager, sometimes you can put God to the side because there's so much going on. But in that respect, um, your teachers and other adults in your life had a tremendous influence for you. Same again for me. And I want you to speak to your experience with those teachers who, as you described in your book, were kind of like lookouts for those kids that had potential. How did that work for you in your music career? Well,
4: they were saying, those old
2: teachers, it's out there. You
4: can have it you can be someone. Guess what? We know because we've been out there.
2: So they encouraged you. Oh, they encouraged us.
4: Yeah. A lot of kids. Um, and I don't think that this has anything to do with an economics or, or uh, living one side of the track or another. I think that many of us uh, have people in our lives who have, in one sense, given us a dream Helped us find a dream. Yeah. Identify it. Identify and sometimes just scoop the top of it so that you look out and you can go as far as you are willing to
2: work to go. In your context, I think it was Miss Georgie, if Miss, I remember correctly. Oh but in that context, I mean you weren't excited about music. And oh. a lot of a lot of professional musicians, they get on it early and then that's their drive, that's their passion. It didn't really happen that way for you, it right? Did Miss not. Georgie and others had to encourage you to say, You you can do this, you're pretty good. They really did miss George was getting on my last nerve to tell the truth about it. <laughs> she, uh,
4: <laughs> she. but what a great thing oh yeah she um, uh, every kid in town took piano lessons from her first of all okay oh, she was the piano she teacher. she was the piano teacher that says it all right that's there. right and she, <laughs> she found out that I could carry a tune okay, okay? and but I'm a boy soprano listen I, you don't you, you haven't lived till you've lived the life of a boy soprano. You get teased. I mean, it's a tough life. Okay. But she would take me around to various teas and, and uh, things. Women's and, meetings. Uh, and around uh, Danville, yeah. Kentucky. Yeah. All six and a half acres of it. You know yeah. what I mean? And she, uh, but she went to my mother one time and said, i don't You should not let Lornell play any sports in the dust because the (laughs) every sports in the (laughs) dust. (laughs) (laughs) Because the dust will hurt his voice. So I gotta tell you, she really did get on my last nerve. But she (laughs) as I got older and in fact I did my first concert at the first Baptist Church, Danville, Kentucky, Miss Georgie Dunahy playing the piano. I'm nine years old. I'm in a, my little gray suit. There's a picture. Listen, the book is is worth the picture. Just get the oh, yeah. book, see the picture. And and the great thing about it is she didn't want anything. She didn't want anything. Mm. She was just a lady that God had put into my life for a time. Mm. And as I got older, you know what I hope? I hope that every town has one. Yeah, A Miss Georgia who will not give up, who will worry you to death. Who, in her own little way, continues to needle because she is again saying, it's out there. It's out there. And you can get it. And Miss Georgie and Miss Stevens and Mr. Summers and all of those teachers in an all-black high school – uh, in, uh, not high school, really grades 1 through 12, consolidated when I was a senior uh, and went to a Dan- what was known as Danville High School. But those grandmas and grandpas and teachers, um, administrators, spoke life. So people ask me, why, why, why did you write the book? Because of them.
2: But um, you did have some difficulty in your career, too. I I was particularly drawn to some of the early gigs, if I can use the Mm -hmm, lingo, that you had to decide, am I going to be part of this? Describe kind of the faith decision you had to make to not want to be in nightclubs and things like that, where it was a a dark environment, not a good good. environment. Yeah,
4: And I got to tell you um when i got out of college and met stan and really began to understand what a faith walk was about a lot of my decisions changed i mean i i came out of school with a with a degree in voice and um uh, was ready to uh, to go into the Kentucky school system and and teach my old band director who had uh, uh, Macaulay Arthur who had taken me around to uh, various schools uh, colleges in his own, on his own dime. I was ready to do that, but a lot of that changed because now I got to consider. What God is doing in my life Right
2: It was serious for me. It was
4: very serious And if I'm supposed to be in the Spurlows Or or whatever group It'll be here And I did end up In some dark places Trying to figure this out Uh, But I believe wholeheartedly that as it was, as when I was growing up and learning about who God was, that I was being protected as I went along and learning that there was some stuff that I was going to run across that I would have to throw out of my life, some places that I would not be able to thrive. It was too dark. Thirty days from that day, I called Mitzi, who was now pregnant with our first and was this is 2 3 years later and she was home with her doctor and her mom and i called her and i said i'll be home in 30 days and i had no idea what i was going to do huh just being and on the road it just i'd been on the road i was anemic i was sick i had vocal issues yeah i had the formation of nodules on my voice i didn't have you know, full-blown, but I could... I it was, was impacting. Of, it was impacting everything. Yeah. And so I got home, and now I've got to find a job. We've just bought a little house. Listen, the payments were $120 a week. I thought, there's no, way. <laughs> you know, there's no way we can make that. And God remained faithful through that time. We never missed a payment on anything. We never missed... We didn't go through any hard times, any of that. But I went through some emotional hard times... And God took me to his word, and I began to just take baths in it. And I did that, and my relationship with him was growing and growing, and it was growing to the point that I could say this, and this was the, this was the open door. Lord, if you're going to allow my voice to be taken, if I'm not going to sing anymore, then you must have something awfully good coming. So it wasn't bitterness.
2: You didn't look at it. It was bitterness at
4: first. Hey, you know, you go through all the stages. It was bitterness, and it was why me, and it was anger. And I went through all those stages, all those psychological uh, cartwheels and norms. But I finished because of the Word of God in my heart and, and really, again, trying to understand all of this. But, you know, I got to the point in Scripture, and I said, you know what? You got something awfully good coming. I don't know what it is. That's but, a good place to be.
2: It's a great place to be. When you can have that faith in Christ, yeah. it's be content in all things, right? And it
4: is. And it was a lesson God was saying to me, and I didn't know this till years later. This is not about voice. This is not about concerts. This is this is about me. Huh. And we're not going to trust in voice, and we're not going to trust in all of <laughs> these outside things. What we're going to trust in is me. Yeah. And he has covered it all and wants more than anything else for those of you who are listening to be the integral part of your life if you will put yourself in the place where he can do his work in your heart and in your life. It's a lesson that I've never forgotten. Yet. Yeah.
2: And I love that. That is what it's about. And uh, so often, especially, I think, in these areas of the arts, whether it's acting or music, even Christians flounder there because they it's a heady thing to win Grammys and to do those things. Uh, I love the story of your wife, Mitzi, <laughs> when you won your first Grammy. Oh, gee. And she left you a note. Do you remember what oh, that was? Oh, I note do. Says? I listen,
4: I still have it.
2: Oh, man, I think tell the folks what that was because to me, I think this is this is what a wonderful spouse can do for you. Oh man. <laughs> and it, well then she is the greatest.
4: <laughs> I, mean. uh, uh, I had been nominated for not one, but two, two Grammys that year and uh, uh, first of all, I didn't believe it. When I got the call, I thought, I, who is this? You know, yeah, right. what's, what, what was One of video? your friends playing a and, joke. Yes, and then I, w- I sat in the corner when I verified that it had indeed happened, and I said, oh, oh my goodness, someone's listening to this stuff. And uh, But we went to the uh, – I went to the Grammy. She didn't go. But when I got home, she had a little party for me, and we had some friends and family over. Now, my wife, when she, she was teaching school, she has a master's in special ed, so she was up early, out and so she would always write a note. It would always be on the kitchen table, giving me my chores for the day. <laughs> the list. The list. I still get it. <laughs> <is> so <laughs> so I, I get up, and here is what it said. Larnell, I love you. We're so proud of you. Now, take the trash out. now i i have to tell you that i was going to the trash with newspapers that had my picture in them (laughs) (laughs) should i be doing this take the trash out and listen don't forget that trash that you missed you missed it last time in the garage (laughs) in the can Uh, and, and i love you i'll see you later I love it. And you know what? She's just no country girl who uh, doesn't uh, – not, She's not, not impressed. Much excites. You're not impressed? <laughs> I wish they were. And, and not, I tell you, some other people are not impressed. The people – we've been in the same church for many, many years. My uh, my kids went, who are now grown – we have grandchildren. They went to daycare at our church. And uh, I've tried to use those Grammys, and some I've been on the deacon board and finance committee. I've tried to use the influence of those deans in some of those meetings. Doesn't work. So so they don't work. We're also equally unimpressed. But But I tell you what, they do. They have allowed me to get my feet. In some
2: doors that I probably would not have ever gotten in. Um, You know, here at Focus on the Family, Larnell, we're about the family. And what I love about your career, and one of the reasons I was really fascinated to have you on the program, was how you manage that with the kids and everything else. You gave a great story there about Mitzi, but you seem to always be able to put your family first. There's lots Mm -hmm. of business people that listen. There's, you know, lots of self-made people that are listening. They've poured a lot into their career, their vocation. They're proud of it, and they should be. But at the same time, some people will look back and say, it cost me too much. It cost me my marriage. It cost me my family. So if you are a writer of the Proverbs, what would you say to those in keeping all of this balanced? You know, um, and she's smart enough to do
4: it, but I'm not. But the Mm. Lord uh, put this on our hearts. In order to have some quality time, you have to have some quantity. Mm-hmm. Over the years, wanted each other to know, uh, to be aware, and wanted our kids to know that at any given moment, regardless of what was going on, because sometimes I did have to travel, sometimes she was out, that at any given moment, I'd rather be with you than anybody else in the world.
2: Isn't that a great it feeling? A wonderful! Feeling. I can relate to that. I love mm-hmm. that. Um, this has been powerful. I hope people uh, will write to us here or call us. Uh, go online, get a copy of Larnell's book, Shaped Notes, and uh, it's a great testimony to God's work in your life, and it's an encouragement to all of us who can see similar milestones in our own lives, That's right. and to remember to praise Him for it and to give Him credit for those many good things, and even the tough things, because we learned through that. And uh, you've done it well, putting it all together in shape notes. Thank you for being with us. What a joy. Thank you for
0: having me. Hmm. Well, it really was a thrill having you here, and I'm certain our listeners enjoyed hearing about your journey of faith. And in fact, as a listener, if you want the full story, contact us about getting a copy of Larnell's book and an audio download of the entire conversation with him. There's a lot of additional content. Uh, our website is slash broadcast. And John, uh, we should
2: make shape notes available to anyone who uh, wants a copy. Send us a, a financial gift of any amount today, and we'll send that book right out to you as our way of saying thank you. If you can't afford it, let us know. I'm sure friends who support the ministry will be happy to help us get a copy into your hands. And if we haven't heard from you in a while or if you've never supported Focus on the Family, would you please consider doing so today? We depend upon the generosity of friends like you to help us produce programs like this one and provide resources like our websites and counseling and Larnell's
0: book. And again, our website is focusonthefamily.com/broadcast or call 800 the letter A in the word family to make your donation. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.